so welcome back to episode eight of the Student Physio Podcast. This week it's me, Brad Carrigan, hosting. And me, Connor Wright, as co-host. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming Andy Barker to the podcast. Andy graduated from Bradford back in 2010 and is now a consultant physiotherapist with lots of experience in sport, having pre- previously worked for Leeds Rhinos as the head physiotherapist. Andy's also the founder of the New Grad Physio, where he helps physios, sports therapists and sports rehabbers in so many different ways. So Andy, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me on. No problem. So uh, Brad just gave us a very brief introduction at the start, but would you be able to give uh, a little bit more and expand more about yourself and your current and job past job roles, please? Yeah, as, as sort of Brad said, I graduated from Bradford back in 2010 uh, on the BSc programmes. This was after actually studying a different degree, so I had a bit of a rough time actually getting on a physio degree in the, the first place, so it took me actually three attempts. I had all the sort of grades and A-levels and stuff to, to get on a course, but it was just um, so popular at the time and, and not many places, so I just didn't get a place until the, the third time of asking, so in between that, I'd I actually enrolled on a, on a different degree, sports performance coaching, uh, which was at Leeds Met, which is now Leeds Beckett University. And then went straight from that degree into my uh, BSc physio degree at uh, Bradford. And then having completed that, I went straight into to work full time in sport, actually at the Leeds Rhinos uh, in the first team. That was off the back of a, a placement that I had done during my second and third year whilst as a student at the Bradford. Uh, I did that role for a little, about, about a year, so about 15 months. Um, and then when the head physio moved on to um, a different role, I sort of stepped into his shoes to become the, the sort of head physio, which was a role I held until the end of 2018. So I did sort of eight seasons as the, as the head physio uh, when I left to sort of take up a consultancy role at the FA and also work a bit more in my, my own private practice. And then over the guess the last couple of years or two and a half years or so, I've worked in the various different different sports, um, various different athletes, um, Yorkshire Carnegie, GB Taekwondo, doing some work at the moment with um, Leeds Rhinos Netball, which is very different to what I'm, what I'm used to. Uh, I've actually recently gone back to the Rhinos on the rugby side to actually work with and mentor some of their their physios, both in the first team and also in the like, the academy scholarship and, and women's program. So. My weeks can be pretty busy, but uh, but I do really enjoy what I do, so I can't can't really complain. Yeah, it sounds like you, you you've got you you've got your um, schedule very full, so it's good to have uh, the third graduate physio graduate on the podcast, and and it's also good to hear that you've had a very diverse and interesting background in physio across all sports. Yep. So we'll we'll move into the the first part and just get on with it straight away. So um, we're going to discuss a bit about you working in elite rugby. Um, so. Andy, you pressed a head physiotherapist in just nine, uh, 15 months, which is very, very, very quick by, by any means. Um, so would you be able, to be able to tell us a little bit more about the journey of you getting to that um, head physiotherapist role? Yeah, so just sort of, I, I, I sort of touched on it a little bit in the, the last response, but after the, after the um, I did elective placement during the summer, which um, I'm not sure whether you guys still doing or not, but it was basically a pass or fail placement, a three-week placement, which... I think if you didn't do it, you would have got still got your hours in. It wasn't. Um, I don't think it was mandatory. We sort of had to do it, but um, I managed to secure a placement at the Leeds Rhinos, so it was in the sub, sort of summer in between the second and third year. Um, and I'm not sure what it was, um, but I must have impressed the guys who the two sort of lead physios who were there at the time. And then after the placement, I sort of got asked to stay involved. Um, so obviously, third years pretty pretty hectic as it is with your placements and all your, your sort of uni work and stuff like that, but any time I had, um, so Wednesday afternoons would be a prime time where if it was in a uni week, you wouldn't be in uni or a few hours where you might get off a little bit earlier. I'd just sort of head down to the club, um, did some weekend stuff. Um, saw sort of with the, with the first team guys, which was, which was great. And um, I didn't think anything more of it at the time, really. I just I was just really enjoying being in that environment. And I knew sort of sports is what I wanted to get into. I was just sort of trying to sponge as much knowledge from the to the two guys there who at the time obviously clearly knew a lot more than me um then it got to like march uh, and i just actually finished um i think my second to last placement which was a uh, my second msk um placement and the 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 guy my educator at the time sort of sort of said there was some changes happening that their their sort of place and their role was going to come up which was going to be a, like a static msk role which 
I'm not sure what what it's like too much now, but they were almost like gold dust because um, you, you don't really get too many uh, band five MSK static roles. And he basically said, if you you've done really good, I got I got like a really good mark on the placement. I really enjoyed it. It was a really good educator. Um, and he basically said, if you apply for it, I'll I'll give you the job. Basically, it was the band seven or eight. I can't remember what it was, but. Um, and I, I went back, the you know, the to the rhinos the week after, and the guys asked me how it was and stuff, and I just told them, um, I sort of been offered that that sort of sort of in in theory been offered a role, and I was pretty pretty happy with that. And uh, then the week later, I went back in. Um, he said, "Oh, I've got can I have can I have a word with you at the end of uh, the day?" And I was at first, I was a little bit worried, thinking I've done something wrong or said something wrong to one of the players or something like that. But he said, "Oh, obviously, great work on that the NHS you know job." Um, but there might be something here for you if you're interested. And he, he basically explained, um, in short, um, it was quite a unique environment at the time because the, the Kirksville training ground actually housed, at the time, the Leeds Rhinos, so the rugby league side, and at the time they were called Josh Carnegie, who were full-time at the time. Uh, I think actually in the premiership uh, then. They've had a bit of a fall from grace since then, but they share the same training complex. So he was in effect as the head physio, going to, going to become like head of medical, but sat sitting across both teams. And then the the assistant physio, if, if you like, was becoming the head physio. So it was like an assistant physio post was was basically up for grabs. And he just sort of said, would it, was it something you'd be interested in? And um, and for me, like working, going straight to sport, is not something full-time anywhere that I'd ever thought would happen. I, I, was, I was pretty pleased with, you know, that sort of NHS, MSK sort of role. But um, for me, being, being from Leeds and rugby league was that on my sport. That was the the sport on the, the team I wanted to work for. So it was sort of was like a dream dream come true, really. And I pretty much, I did actually finish my last exam, I think, at uni, and then actually started the day after. Um, and as you guys all know, um, in terms of like your registration and things like that, it can take a little bit of time. So I was basically working from, sort of like May, June time to August as it was some sort of weird like title, like soft tissue or rehab specialist or something. I was definitely wasn't a specialist at that point, at that point anyway, but it was just until um, my vesicle registration came through. And then once I got my HCPC and everything else, um, I, I had like an official sort of contract actually uh, just started. So they got me on the cheap for a few uh, a few months anyway until, until that. But um, it was actually the, the like the first, like it was – it was such a sort of rapid rise and just um, couldn't have probably wrote any better. I think the first, I think the week I actually got my registration through was the week in August we were actually, um, we'd made the Challenge Cup final at Wembley, um, which was actually unreal just to be in that environment with the other guys. Um, we didn't win, which was not, obviously not too great, but um, having just like literally walked out of uni, yeah, it couldn't have really, really gone any better, really. Yeah, sounds like you've made some really good impressions um, early on when on your placements and it kind of once you have your foot in the door like we, we spoke about in a few of the play, uh, podcasts once you've got that foot in the door it kind of opens up a lot of opportunities for you and from then it's what you do with them opportunities and how you make most of what you've got yeah so I just wanted to with how quickly you went into that role so from getting that assistant physio you went to head physio obviously the assistant uh, the head physio at the time had moved on just in 15 months do you ever think you progressed a little too quickly do you ever felt feel like you're out of your depth at any point um so yeah so it, it was pretty quick and it wasn't obviously without without challenges and things like that but um personally I don't think I, it went progressed sort of too quickly and and that was mainly due to um, probably the great support and mentorship that I had during that that period. And and what I always think about now to that, like my final year, that third year after that placement, when I was down there, you know, hours here and there and weekends and I even started going to some games and things like that, which is, you know, it's almost unheard of as a student. Um, it was almost like an apprenticeship. That's what I'd probably call it. it I've probably got like another six months or so of, of help and support and, and obviously looking back now and having spoken to the guys now after when I started they were sort of priming me and almost like testing me out a little bit to see if I'd be up for and ready for for the job really so they were putting some time and effort into me um and obviously the in the in the view of how obviously I might take up a, a position and um, but the help and support that I got on during that apprenticeship if you want to call it that and then that sort of first year and a little bit was 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 so good and I actually felt like I was I was ready to do it even though I was 
um, you know, 15 months sort of out of out of uni. I, I do I do generally believe that this sort of whole experience thing is a little bit overrated. Uh, and, and I mean this in a in a really positive way for students and new grads, because you know, I've seen so many different therapists, and you could be a year qualified or be, you know, 101 years qualified. And you know, the, the therapist who's a year qualified is better. Um, so you know, when I when I see jobs. Uh, and I've actually done this in the past when we've put job adverts out and I'd never do it now, but where it says you need a minimum of some years experience or you need, you know, this, it's for me, it's a complete waste of time because, you know, like I say, you, you don't have to be, have years under your belt to be, to be good at what you do. You know, I think it's what you've done during that period. Someone could, you know, be, be good for a year and then repeat the same, uh, the same rubbish for the next nine years, but the 10 years experience then, um, I think it's obviously the quality of what you do and not supposed to, in terms of your, your, ex, your experience and however way you look at it, whether it's sport, the NHS, um, private practice, we sort of work in a results-based injury. I'm not talking in terms of like wins and losses, but it's just your ability to, to, to get a patient or athlete out of pain and, and back to full health, you know, within, you know, safely and but as quickly as, uh, as possible. And I think that step for me, becoming a head physio, there was some massive challenges for sure. But this is sort of the pressure, I guess the pressure of the challenge was something that excited me a little bit. And as the, whilst it was still very pressured in being the assistant physio, if you like, you were sort of, I guess, uh, you always had someone else to, to go to for a, like a second opinion who'd literally been on you know, the next tip bed at the side of you if you're a bit stuck. Whereas when you're the head physio, you're sort of that person and someone's coming to you. And you have to make those obviously big decisions. And it's a lot of the, I guess, the non-clinical stuff that where you're, you're hidden from a little bit, like those conversations with coaches or, you know, other members of the MDT that you, again, get a little bit protected protected from uh, as in that sort of assistant, um, you know, post or, you know, yeah. But I think it's just having that sort of support network. And and even now I, um, I ask for help all the time from different people. I have, I have a mentor myself who helps me out with certain things from clinical stuff to business and building private practice stuff. And um, again, a small network of other practitioners, not, not just therapists, but there's a doctor in there and, and some other staff as well that I, I frequently speak to. Um, some of the guys that, you know, that I've interviewed myself on, on my own podcast that just to bounce ideas off and ask their opinion on certain things. And I think, you know, I think that's really um, helpful to have because we like, no, I, I certainly don't and I don't think anyone knows all the answers to everything No I think that's really interesting the point you make there about um, how it not necessarily being the amount of years obviously that you know it helps but not necessarily being the amount of years that you've been somewhere that makes you good at what you do and actually students can come in and, and fit the role like a glove and, and, and perhaps sometimes be a bit more keen to work and they're a bit more new in their ways of thinking a bit more adaptable rather than you know, getting bogged down in that, um, you know, years of being in the role and getting used to what you do and falling out of the research side of it. And, and perhaps as a student, you're a bit more keen to learn and do things a new way. So, yeah, it's really interesting that you say that. And I just wanted to touch on looking at, at working at the level that you mentioned there with um, a major successful team and, and, and what particularly whilst you were there, what were you, would you say were the, the biggest pros, cons and challenges were? Um, so I think... It probably probably changed quite a lot during um, during my time. So when I, I guess when I had a perception of what sport was like and what, why I wanted to work in sport, it was if I'm being totally honest, it was probably more like the glitz and the glam and winning trophies and big games and stadiums and stuff. And uh, whilst I'm not saying that was wasn't great, it clearly wasn't. It's always obviously great to to win a big trophy and have a few beers after with staff players etc and things like that. And I I love a beer I love a beer more than anyone, so I certainly enjoyed those um, weekends. But um, whether it was, uh, and again, I, I appreciate this, um, like, you know, some therapists will work in sport the whole life and never win a trophy. I, I appreciate very, being very fortunate. I was, I was involved with a team that were very good and it probably had very little to do with, uh, with me, uh, being there or anything like that, but we had like loads of success and, uh, but probably still felt a little bit underfulfilled and I didn't really know why. And probably till the last, the last few years. And I think, um, it's probably more I look back now on some of the like relationships like you sort of build with, with staff and also players. Um, and like I've, I've known this for probably the last sort of few years, but like even just recently, I've been treating um, an ex ex player who I, I worked with uh, my full career at Leeds. He was there as a player. 
Uh, I left, I think he retired sort of the year, um, oh, actually the same, same year, actually. Uh, and he just, I've been seeing him privately in the clinic. He was actually in pretty bad, pretty bad car crash. Um, but just like chatting through some of the stuff and, you know, he's, he's, I've seen his dad uh, when he came over from Australia. I've seen his like partner. I've seen, uh, I think I saw his sister when she traveled over. I've seen every one of his mates because um, he just, you know, believes I'll, I'll look after him and do a good, good, good job and things like that. So I think, Whilst early, the, the pros were definitely the big games. Uh, I think over the course of, I guess, my career so far in sport, I, I look back now and probably probably cherish those like um, those relationships more, um, more than, the I guess, the games. And again, that might be just because I've, I've been very fortunate to win, um, sort of win some trophies and things like that, which, again, if I'd not, not have had that, um, you know, maybe I'd still be sort of striving for, for those games. Um, I think the, the sort of cons... It is um, a massive commitment to work full time in sport, regardless of the sport, and you, you have to be like a hundred percent in. You can't sort of dip in and out, or you know, dip your toe into an environment because uh, you, you you just either get found out, you probably just get sacked. Uh, I don't know whichever might come come first. You know, it's very demanding. You know, from from players and staff, and it's very erratic. The sort of work schedules can change. You know, you maybe the weeks plan to look like this but then your team gets beat and then you're in on the days you thought you were off um so you know I've missed looking back uh, going from obviously from university um, straight into sport um I've missed pretty much all my best pals stag dudes um like most most of their weddings like over here abroad um trips lads holidays to Vegas and all sorts of things um holidays you know you can only, you can only go on holiday at certain times of the year like the off season, that's the only time you can go away on holiday. Uh, and again, as a member of the medical team, as a physio, you're again. There's going to be players who probably have post season surgery, injuries carried over from the previous season. So between you and you know, if you've got a small medical team, which we usually operated with two physios, if you have four weeks off, you best get two weeks off each because you're going to have to cover that four week period between the two of you. Um, obviously, like the late night games, travel, things like that. So weekends and sociable hours. So like it's, that sounds like quite a lot of negatives there, but um, um, like for me, like the, the, the pros definitely outweigh outweigh the cons. But you do have to sacrifice a lot, you know. But I, I'd I'd certainly do it do it all again. Yeah, great. And just a follow up from that, um, you mentioned the feeling of the potential challenge of feeling unfulfilled, and you also mentioned relationships along with that. Just for the students listening to this episode. Um, what do you think was the most effective way of dealing with that, that challenge of feeling unfulfilled? And was it um, having good relationships with people that helped you to overcome that? Or was it something else? Yeah, I think at the time, I didn't really know why I still probably felt underfulfilled, if I'm, if I'm totally honest, until like, um, probably more so since I moved, moved out of full-time sport and now I've worked in little bits in, in other, other sports and things like that. I, um, I, I, yeah, I wasn't really, really too sure, but I think, I think having, um, strong relationships where you can is really important with, with staff and also the, the athletes or the patients that you, that you work with. It's, it's very different, I guess, as a, um, it's like being a goldfish bowl with, with a sports team, because, you know, if you don't say you've had a, you know, the same patients, um, yourself on placements and things, and some patients you just seem to sort of click with and get on with and can, you know, conversation flows pretty easy, but you know, some patients it's really hard. Um, but when you're only seeing them, you know, at maybe the earliest the week after, you've got seven days in between. Um, whereas with a sports team, you're probably walking past that player another five times that day. They might even be booked on treatment to see you again in the afternoon, or you do some rehab in the gym or out on the field, and you're seeing them the next day, the next day, the next day. It's, it can be pretty relentless. So I learned quite early that you know, with players that maybe you wouldn't ordinarily, I guess, gravitate towards, you know, we, we certain get on with some people better than others, that you, you really have to work work hard sometimes. And that's, again, with I guess, with players and, and, and staff, particularly staff sometimes, you know, I sometimes, be, I think he once called, one of the head coaches, what would call me the Grim Reaper, um, just because a lot of the conversations you're having with head coaches is generally negative. You're telling them the bad news about injuries and things like that. And they, they see you come in and they're trying, trying to avoid you because they're not, there's some bad news, uh, bad news coming, and but you have to tell them that information, uh, whether you like it or not. And they might be in a really bad mood because you've just been been spanked on the weekend. But 
again, you're going to have, you have to deliver that information to do, to do your job. Um, but yeah, again, sometimes they don't listen to you. Sometimes that sometimes they do. Sometimes they'll have a different opinion. Um, again, this could be a player or this could be a member of staff. But I think, yeah, it's something that that I I saw. Um, I guess probably more so as like the assistant physio and and, and how um, how much probably effort with with some people you, you sort of do need to to put in to build those relationships. But but how valuable it is when you you know you do put that time in. Yeah, really good insight into the sports side of things there, and and I'm sure we could definitely talk all day about the sports the sports aspect. But we just wanted to move on and and, and go into part two um, of, of this episode and and talk a little bit more about your current role as consultant physio. Um, so firstly, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about how this role came about? Yeah, so I guess in terms of like being a consultant, I guess a, a consultant post or contract or whatever generally just probably more refers to that the, the sort of type of, of contract you might have with an organization so I guess rather than being employed um, in short you will I guess provide a service to a club or an organization and um, and they pay you a set fee so that might be I don't know a day rate a retainer plus a day rate hourly rate or it'll be very very varied um, it has certainly has you know ups um in terms of you know the pros of doing that, you can generally charge probably a bit more than what you would do if you were getting a I guess a salary. Um, you can obviously do more than one thing. So usually not with with a lot of jobs, particularly again in sport, um, it'll be written in your contract that you can't work elsewhere, and you you maybe even have to get special permission to even do like private clinic work. It will depend on depend on your contract. So as a consultant, you're you're free to work with other uh, other teams as long as it's not I guess the club don't see it as a conflict of, of interest. Uh, but it does have downsides, you know, you, you with a salaried position, you'll get a pension, you'll get holidays, maybe you potentially get more job security, um, you know, with a with a, obviously an employed position as opposed to a consultant position. But I guess for me, it sort of suits, um, it suits myself and my sort of circumstances, lifestyle, and I actually really love uh, the variety of doing different things. Um, it's part of the reason I, I maybe left the Leeds Rhinos in a, in a full-time capacity. Um, partly it was due to having a couple of kids and I wanted a bit a bit more of a, um, I guess, work-life balance, if that's the, that's the right word. But I also was a different challenge to work in different sports. Um, and like, say, just the weeks now are so, so varied. Or just, I guess, this week, what sort of stuff I'll, I'll be doing. I was, I was in with the rugby guys this morning. Um, and then I've got some of my own clinic stuff later in the week. I'm seeing a couple of professional dancers. I'm um, doing some work with Lee Trans netball, which again is very different. I, I still know nothing about netball, but I'm still trying to learn uh, trying to learn that. And then I do some of the mentorship stuff with uh, the new physio, and um, you know, there's another couple of things on the on the horizon as well. So um, I, I really enjoy the variety in in doing that. It's not for everyone. I, I appreciate that, and sometimes it can be um, challenging. You know, dipping in and out of you know going in for a couple of days with the team, and then you know, planning stuff, working with players and then not being there for another, you know, six, seven days. Um, but again, it's, it does have its upsides as well. Yeah, it sounds really good to be able to, to work, you know, day in, day out with different people and different sports and come across lots of different people. And, and just maybe to go into a bit more detail about it, could you explain maybe a little bit more what happens day to day of, of being it? You know, what, how are you set up? Where are you set up? And things like that. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Each each role will probably look a bit differently depending on like what team or organisation or you know if I'm in clinic or, or whatever else. But um, I don't know. Say today, for for example, um, was in with the, the Rhinos rugby guys, and um, first thing we had to have a COVID test, which is always uh, always nice. Um, then um, sort of a slot in the morning pre sort of training to review some some players. So the players that were on. Um, I guess my list or, or case load this morning was a post-iguinal hernia um, operation, tibial plateau fracture, post-op um, shoulder. He had a, a like posterior labrum injury back in the, the off-season, but it was some ongoing sort of management stuff. And then um, we had like a medical meeting, so that was the, the actual the therapists. Um, knocked off a bit of admin, and then there was like a, a rehab session in the gym. The, the day actually changed a bit. This is, again, the, the life of working in sports. So what... The day we'd sort of planned out was not quite the day that happened. Uh, things changed mainly from a like a coaching and technical standpoint, but that altered the timings of some of the stuff. But then managed to get in the gym uh, with a couple of players and go through some some rehab. 
Um, mainly spending a lot of time with a typical plateau fracture um, player, which was pretty good. Got him pushed on a little bit. And then we had some like debrief stuff, like rehab planning stuff with um, uh, like MDT and some of the other guys. And then um, just sort of shot, shot home, had a quick, had an online meeting. Um, actually planning a podcast, one that I'm hosting later in the week. So I finished that off and then I'm on the uh, on this uh, podcast with you guys. Yeah, it sounds like you, you almost get to carry out quite a few different roles. You're working with loads of different people. You get to go into like, so you're not working at the Rhinos anymore, but you still get to go in and see the players and you still get to experience that, but you also get to work with netballers, you get to work with dancers. It's such a more ranged, almost like what you might see in the NHS if you're working with lots of different backgrounds and stuff, but in a sport way instead. Yeah, no, certainly it's, it's very, very varied. Yeah, and um, yeah, I do, I do feel very privileged to be able to, like, to, be able to do that, you know, because uh, there's not there's not a lot of um, roles like this, uh, I guess, around. You know, most people who work in sport work for one one set team, and usually, uh, I've said before, it's, um, sort of totally engulfs your life full time and um, and plus plus some but it is, it is great um, it's great particularly obviously with the Rhino stuff it means like um, as I mentioned before I was that was like sort of my dream job going into work full time so to be able to go back there and if I have any input at all um, I'd like to hope it um, um, transpires in some way to you know the, the guys who are, are working there off the field and then hopefully um, on the field, which they're not doing too uh, too great at the moment, but I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll turn a corner. Yeah. Um, one of the things I do want to ask is because obviously it's quite a, a unique role that you're carrying out here and there's not many of them, like you said. Um, we don't get much exposure to this sort of consultant role as students. So would you just be able to go through your sort of favourite parts of the job and any almost negatives that you have around working as a consultant physio? Yeah, I think the good bits, um, again, sort of touched on this before but like the variety in terms of you can work in different things so like you know one day like you saying there before working with with a netball athlete the next day a rugby player and then a dancer and then you know a boxer or something else it it does it's very varied it's very different you have to adapt to your, your approach I guess to to fit those different um different people um you can sort of pick and choose to a certain degree um what you want to do you know if, if you did want to you know book a holiday here or there or everywhere you could you could do that um Got potential depending on on how much you're doing and and what uh, financially that you're getting paid. You potentially could earn you know, some decent money doing that as well. For you know, because you are getting paid maybe a day rate or hourly rate, which will be you know generally in, in, almost exclusively would be higher than the same you know rate you would get from a from a salary. But you obviously do get those um, downsides of pension and all those other things I mentioned uh, before. I guess the bad bits is sometimes the the workload's pretty erratic. So again, um, like at the weekend, I was down in London with the with the netball guys. We had a game at the Copper Box Arena, which was really, which was great. Travelled down Saturday, um, so I'd worked all week and basically had a, like a seven day week. We travelled down Saturday. Saturday was pretty chill. Just travelled down dinner time, got there in like late afternoon. Um, saw a couple of players, got set up and everything else. Had like a meeting, had some food, and then that was it. And then Sunday we had like prep for the game. Um, the game itself was at, which was at four o'clock. So by the time we got finished, back up to Leeds, um, got dropped off, got in my car, drove home. It was probably half eleven. And then I was up at half five this morning. So then I've got like a full week this week, and then we travelled again, actually again down to London again, um, and then we actually play Sunday, and then we play Sunday afternoon, stay over, travel down Saturday, stay over, play Sunday, stay over, play Monday night at something like quarter past seven. So realistic, I'm trying to work it out. <laughs> yesterday on the bus on the way, I'll probably get home about half three, three thirty a.m. or something like that. So I've not, I've not purposely booked anything in in the morning, but I'm, I am working in the afternoon. But sometimes, yeah, the if things go back to back, like um, like certain commitments that you've got, and if you've said I'm, you know, I'm going to commit to this amount of hours or these days, you know, a week or whenever it may be, um, it can get a bit, it can get a bit hectic like that. But then you'll get periods where you can obviously take yourself out of that and. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's generally it's quite quite top heavy um, in terms of some you know some weeks and then um, a lot quieter of the weeks and you have to be pretty organised in terms of um, making sure you remember to send people invoices otherwise you won't get paid because you're working for free and things like that and there's other downsides of like most consultants um, working like that you'll generally set up a company like a limited company and, and pay yourself like that so you have to obviously set have it all set up so there's a 
I guess there's additional fuel levels of, of some administration that you need to keep to set up and actually keep on on top of. Clearly, you can outsource some of that to people who do that, but um, you know, obviously, yeah, that, that'll that'll sort of need sorting. It's a bit different to go into a role and working nine to five or whatever, and you know, you know, know exactly what what you're gonna what you're gonna get with again with a consultant role. You you know you can you probably you pay yourself a pay yourself a wage and things like that, but at the end of the year, your, your company's gonna get like a a bill from tax bill from HMRC. So it's, you know, it has to be a bit more savvy with some of your um, some of your cash. And then when you've got money in your own bank, you can just sort of take it out willy nilly. Whereas you just you can't just take money out of business to book a holiday uh, and things like that. So there's things like that. Just uh, that I certainly knew nothing about till I, I sort of got. And I got going back to what I was saying before about getting help and mentorship. This is some of the things that I learned off other people who've done it before. So I. I certainly knew none of this um, before sort of getting into this um, consultancy type of, of role. Yeah, it sounds like it's quite a lot as well. You got to, you're going from a steady employment, you know, it's coming every week and suddenly you have to manage your timetable and you've got commitments to deal with and it does take over your life almost and controls what you can and can't do. But at least you have the the aspect of you can, you can say no to work, you can say yes to work and you can choose what, what and when you do it. Yeah. when you're working it's obviously uh, you'll have some long-standing contracts with different clubs and stuff but if you have these small co- contracts with different clubs do you ever struggle to get work or do you think that because you've got like a reputation and a network from previous job roles that you're okay and you've getting more established now um so one, one thing that i uh, again going back to being mentored one of one of my mentors once told me really early in my career is always have like a, a plan b <laughs> In, in the sense that working in sport and he just sort of said you never know what's going to happen you know you um le- less so probably in, in rugby um but you see it all the time you'll see it in the media in football a new manager comes in um and then everyone else basically gets sacked he wants to bring his own staff in physio coaches and then you're out and then you know there's, there's not a lot of jobs again using sport as an example there's not actually a lot of jobs in sport so to go and find another job tomorrow's you know pretty difficult like you might in that environment you might get you know a settlement fee or even paid out the end of your contract but depends how long your contract you might have been contract like running out in a month's time so they'll pay you last month but then you've got no job um so it can it can be in, in the last 12 months or so obviously with, with sort of pandemic and things like that like o- overnight probably 80 percent of my income just went away because um, i was doing um my clinic stuff uh and probably 80 percent of my work in 2020 was probably sport so again and because i was um consultancy based if i don't work i don't get paid um so and then obviously as a i guess a addition to that we had to physically close the clinic for the first like sort of like 10 or 12 weeks so we're still doing online stuff but um that was obviously quite 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 a pressured uh, pressured time but i think having um, different income streams like I, I would never take on a role as a consultant where I was only probably getting income from one place just for that very reason if they turn around for whatever reason or they had financial issues of their own um, you could put an invoice in and they say you know it happens all the time in sport where teams go into administration and then you end up getting two pence for every pound that they owe you or something like something stupid like that and I've seen this happen to, to people before um, to, to physios to doctors and things like that with, with sports teams so I think always having uh, a few different income streams just to make sure that you um, you know sort of what's coming in. Like I say, it, is, it can be erratic at times, you know, it can a lot one month and then not, not as much the, the next month. But um, yeah, I think just having a few different, um, um, a plan probably B, C, D and E probably is probably the best way to do it. Yeah, it sounds like you've got to be prepared for any eventuality really. So one last question on the... Um... Uh, consultant based is just um, for any people that are listening to this and just go actually that sounds like what I want to do that's something that I think I could do um, what would your overall like tips off for somebody wanting to follow in your footsteps almost uh, I think regardless if people listen to this want to work in like sport or whether it's private practice or the NHS whatever level or job they they wish to attain I think I think the biggest thing is is deciding what you want to do. Like some people, I, I was very from day one of physio school. I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, some people don't, and I appreciate that. And you, I guess, you need to get out if that's if that's you. Just sort of test drive different roles because I don't think you really know what a role's like until you've you've seen it. Um, but once you do know what sort of direction you want to take your career, 
I think just it's just about making a plan about how what the steps are going to be to get you there and then and then just go for it really very sound advice just if you know where you want to be then you can plan the steps to get there but if you don't know you just need to put the feelers out and work it out really 100% okay so we'll move on to part three so we're going to talk about the the new grad physio uh, the new new grad physio you do have a podcast but uh the new grad physio um, so this is something you've set up to help students and graduates alike um, from different ranges of professions as well, not just physios. Um, you've got a membership, you've got your podcast, obviously, and you also do some webinars as well. So would you be able to expand on this a little bit more and how it came about? Yeah, I guess it sort of how it came about um, for, for like years, just just by the, I guess, the nature of um, like mentoring therapists or you know, students on placements or other like members, of, you know, junior members of staff. It's something I've always really enjoyed. Uh, I've done a little bit of teaching as well, like on um, some physio, sports therapy, um, some sports like medicine programs as well. And, and I really enjoy like trying to like to help other people. And probably going back to what I said towards the start that I I had so much so you know I had awesome help and support as a new grad, uh, and it was you know the biggest reason why I was able to. I guess, fast track my career so quickly and I was able to like upskill and I guess the question you asked earlier on about like, did I go too quickly? But I, I generally felt after 12 months of being qualified that I was ready to to be like a head physio. Uh, and I actually had a conversation with, after actually only a few months of being qualified with the, with the head physio at the time and he was like, you know, if you, obviously I'll, I'll help you out and I'll support you. Um, but if you, you know, if you work hard, I think you should be aiming to be a head physio um, in sport within probably 12 months time. So he, he, he probably was the first person at that time that showed like some belief in me. Cause I was, I was just happy. I was probably happy in the role I was at then thinking I've just, I've walked out of uni. I'm, I'm already working in sport. I'm really enjoying it. I'm learning so much, but he was almost the first one that planted a seed to say like, like everyone else was sort of would tell you, you know, you need to be like five, 10 years qualified to be a head physio. Or you need to you know to become a band six seven or whatever else in in the NHS or open your own practice. All these things that people say, but he was probably the first one that said. And and going back to the probably the question before or the advice I, I just sort of mentioned then was this is like again and I was like yeah I'm on, I'm on board with this. This is how we're gonna do it. Um, so in effect I I wanted his job because he was doing the job that I wanted. But um, unbeknown to me a year later he he actually got his own dream job and left um, to go and work actually in rugby union. Um, so that opened the door for me, but you know, he, he was real supportive of me and, and I just thought like, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if um, I could do, try and help other people out. And um, you know, so I think, I think in terms of the actual new graph physio and what it is uh, in terms of the membership, it's got like three main components as there's, there's like the clinical and career support, which is, clinical wise you've got all the like assessment treatment rehab sort of videos and content the career support stuff is is more around uh, actually probably learning how to get your foot in the door so I actually have a program in there called the foot in the door program which sort of walks you through step by step how to how to open doors uh, and you mentioned yourself earlier on that you know if you can get your foot in the door you, 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 that's one thing but you need you, you do need to have the clinical um, competency to back it up because no one's gonna give you a job you know, just for, you know, if you can't do the job well, you know, you're not going to get, you're not going to last very long. So having that, I guess that clinical and career supports, you know, a, a big part of the, the the membership. And then the second part of it is, I guess, the new graph physio community. So there's like um, a private sort of members only Facebook group and there's a lot of stuff that goes on in there. So this is, this is mainly led by, by the members. So they'll put like tricky case studies or patients, athletes that they're seeing, you know, I've seen this guy today with his tricky shoulder injury, this is what I found on the assessment. Um, what do you guys think? And I can chime in, or the other guys in the membership can can try to help each other out. And you know, it's pretty safe haven to to ask questions and you know to get help and support with maybe conditions or pathologies or you know injuries they've not seen a lot with. And there's all a whole host of other things that go in there. I do some um, like journal reviews and, and and most of the content's led by by the members. If they have a question, I get sent a question. I'll just pop up, pop in the group and do like a Facebook live or, you know, film a video and, and post it in there to, you know, to answer a question with a bit of depth. And then the the third pillar, if you like, is more to do with like one-to-one support. So again, if, if, a, if um, a therapist needs help with 
particular aspect. And again, it might be something to do clinically, non-clinical skills. It might be a lot of the, at the moment, there's a lot of students and, and new grads who are in the programme who are applying for jobs, um, things like that. So doing a lot of like CV, um, like modifications and going through things like that and um, some interview prep and things like that. So I guess those are the, those are the, main, um, the main pillars of the membership. Yeah, I think uh, it's really good to hear about about your business venture and, and what what it um, offers. And I think it's reassuring to hear that for students that you from yourself that you, you can feel ready once you graduate. And and I've seen obviously it's it's you know it's possible for imposter syndrome to take over sometimes. But if you if you are able to reassure yourself and surround yourself with the support, you will be okay. And I I think your business nicely meets that demand of of that support network if you do need it. So I think we're gonna we're gonna move on to part four, which is just a little bit of something new. We haven't done this before, so we're gonna try out. So we're going to introduce a small case study, um, and obviously Andy, you're going to talk us through it. Um, just things to consider in the scenario: how would you approach this? What your initial treatment would be, and what advice you'd be. Um, we'll have this uh, copy of the scenario on Instagram and all our um, socials, so if you're listening, you can follow along. Um, so yeah, Connor. Okay, so uh, the case study is an amateur rugby player has been complaining of localised pain on the top of his left shoulder after sustaining an injury during a tackle one week ago. He has pain on shoulder flexion, which gets worse the higher he lifts his arm. And when rolling over onto the left side in bed, he is also unable to do any press-ups due to the pain. Cool. So I guess um, probably one of the biggest things, and again, this probably feeds in with like a, one of the, I guess, biggest mistakes that I see a lot of, a lot of therapists make is like jumping off straight into your objective assessment and wanting to do all the sort of sexy special tests and things like that with with injuries but i i before getting to anywhere close to that want to know a lot about his past medical history and any previous injuries to his left shoulder any other injuries that he's had on you know the arm elbow wrist fingers thumbs fractures or, you know whatever else that may be on both his in, injured side his left side and, and his right side any trunk, upper and, and lower limb injuries. Um, it, it may sound pretty obvious, and sometimes I think getting a past medical history is something we do for any patient or athlete, but it's, you know, sometimes we gloss over it, but you, you really want to know anything at all that might affect your ability to get your patient or athlete fully fit in the fastest time possible. So anything that could be useful. And, 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 I, and I found that you have to be really direct with your patients because... No, you want to tell them and or ask them and say, I want you to tell me every injury almost you've ever had, as, as minimal as you think it may be. Um, you know, if clearly if patients tell you like one's got a paper cut on the finger or something like that, you, you, you might have to clarify that a little bit more. But a lot of patients, athletes will won't tell you things because they don't think they were they were that important, but they could they could be, you know, a big barrier to a successful sort of rehab program. Aside from that, and obviously you, the rest of your subjective regarding the the objective assessment, like the way I work is exactly the same that is the way I teach within the membership, and it's a really simple structure in terms of an objective assessment, and I follow exactly the same sequence with every single patient or athlete, regardless of what injury they have, like upper limb, lower limb, low back, neck, thumb injury whether it's a professional rugby player or professional dancer or, you know, Edith who's 75 years old and walks in my private clinic, it's exactly the same. Um, clearly you might have to modify it if someone's on crutches, you know, in a cast, et cetera, et cetera, but the principles are exactly the same and it has sort of six, six steps. So um, like the first step in that, I get every patient to walk and do like a, a gait assessment. And whilst, like biomechanics is something that I I really really love. I did I did a master's in bio, sport exercise biomechanics, and I absolutely love biomechanics. Um, but I'm not doing a biomechanical assessment, and I actually think I'd actually think I'm actually that good at it. I, I struggle to eyeball things when I you know see a, a patient or an athlete walking. I, I I often more so probably with the athletes than patients. I do it with patients sometimes. Um, clearly, you have to get get their consent, but often I'll film them to to slow things down and, and have a look and just use my my iPhone to, to sort of do that. Um, but with a walk assessment, you're just looking for anything that stands out, like any big um, problem. So even with a shoulder and obviously the shoulder case study, you might notice that their their left side is their affected side. And this may be just pain inhibition and their you know unwillingness to move their arm, but you might notice a difference in their their arm swing and trunk rotation. But their trunk rotation might feed into why they're 
problems not settling. So again, you're looking for like big, big differences between their left and, and right side. And the second part is then to go through what I'd call like a global movement assessment where you're doing some really simple movements. So for example, test like a toe touch, side bend. And again, you're looking for just how they're controlling their body. So again, this is the same for a shoulder, neck, low back, knee, ankle. And again, you're looking just for big changes, left versus right. And does this again start to sort of make make sense with their with their injury? Do the sort of pieces sort of fit together? And as you work through your assessment, you just become more and more more and more specific as you're going through your the different sort of the six steps. The final steps, special testing. But what you'll find with a lot of injuries, if you do a really good job with the earlier parts of your your assessment that you don't actually need to do that much special testing uh, and we know um special tests that a lot of them are, are not actually that good um so i think if you're relying too much on the special sort of sexy tests at the end then and you're not doing a, a great job with some of the more simple stuff like we sometimes gloss over because it's just pretty basic then you're probably missing a missing a trick um i guess going back to the case today um, you sort of mentioned these mechanisms of injury and, and symptoms and things like that. So you might suspect, you know, you maybe have like an ACJ injury or, or something, maybe of maybe something like that. Um, so with that, if that was, um, I guess, hypothesis, you'd want to rule out um, first and foremost, maybe like a clavicular or a chromium fracture around the area. Um, I'd be particularly interested in his like shoulder internal rotation uh, and also his horizontal adduction, which again, you often see like a, a big reduction in those movements with with an AC um, J injury and particularly with the horizontal adduction sometimes that's to do with their I guess their ability of their posterior shoulder and capsule to lengthen as they reach across the, the sort of arm so and again this is going to give information everything you pick up from your assessment is almost like just a problem list so then when you get into your treatment and rehab you've got a list of problems which that might be limited shoulder internal rotation or horizontal adduction um, and then your treatment and rehab plan is literally going to be some intervention whether that is your hands-on stuff or rehab that's actually going to fix a, a specific problem and I guess getting away from which which I which I certainly did as a as a new grad where rather than having like an ACJ injury or a different shoulder injury or, or any other injury that you just throw loads of rehab at them because you know the classic one of the shoulder is to give them some scapular stability stuff, give them some like cuff um, rehab, where if they might not actually have a scapular problem or they might not actually have a cuff problem, but we give them those sort of things anyway. It's just trying to be a bit more specific with, um, I guess, what you give them in terms of their rehab. And I guess on this particular case study, you sort of mentioned a little bit about um, cat, cat tolerate press up. But again, some again, my, my thought process going back, you know, 10 years or so would be all... We'll have to give him some, something completely different than like like some cuff stuff, like some you know rows or something like that. But whereas now, if, if he's a rugby player, you know I don't know what else he does as a job or you know whatever else he's got going on, but he's clearly going to be need to be able at some point to be able to tolerate a press up type position and put load through his shoulder. And if he wants to get back to playing rugby or or doing whatever else he's doing, so I'd maybe look at that. saying that's one of the things that, that aggravates him. But could we put him in a different position? To allow him to put load through his, his shoulder, so that might be not necessarily doing a press up because he, he didn't tolerate that very well. But could we put him in like six point or four point positions and do some isometric stuff or or you know some you know some pretty basic stuff? But again, rather than avoiding certain things, could we again modify certain things that we know he needs to be able to do, um, and then just just trying to do it in a smarter way? Yeah. So just to draw out a key point there. Um, you mentioned uh, past medical history, and I think it's key and perhaps underestimated in its ability to support your assessment and inform the treatment decisions. And I think it links to the sports trauma side of things and, and how it's important to not focus on what's most painful or what's screaming at you or, you know, what's bleeding the most. And perhaps to look at the whole picture, um, you know, take a minute, step back, look at the whole picture. And and perhaps this is a, as a trap that students fall into. Would you Would you agree, Andy? No, 100%. I, I, I'll be totally honest. I, I wasn't that great. And I put a lot of time and attention to my own subjective assessment, probably over the last, particularly over the last sort of three or four years. Uh, and that was more so um, starting to work more in private practice. I think the sort of good thing, but also the danger of working in sport. And for the large chunk of my time, particularly at the Leeds Rhinos, I worked with the same players 
for a long, long period. So I could tell you even now, like the date of births, the addresses, you know, from like requesting scans and booking appointments with, with specialists and all sorts of things. I could tell you every, every pretty, pretty much every injury they've ever had, when it was, how they did it. Um, so the point probably in sport is that sometimes you, you sort of gloss over the past medical stuff because you already know it. And also you've maybe probably been at the side of a pitch at a training session or even at a game where you've actually seen them be injured. So when you're having, having to get that information out of a patient in, say, in an outpatients department or in the NHS, because you you clearly weren't there, that's a skill. Um, whereas in sport, you probably have the luxury, or if you've not seen it, you've probably got the, the video guy to clip it and send you it, like when you're on the bus on the way home. So that's very good, because you can see clear mechanism that actually makes probably your assessment easier in many respects. You've seen their injury actually happen, and you can, again, decipher possible structures that, that might be injured. But... But I think for me, then going to work in um, private practice, I was probably a little bit underskilled or underpracticed, probably a better word, to to get that out of some patients. And I, it's certainly something that I had to put a lot of time and attention into into doing to get better at better at doing that. Yeah, it's really. I think it's quite good to see that in um, our learning at the moment they put such a heavy emphasis on subjective, and it's not all about the objective. And they they say to us straight up that if you don't know what it is by the end of the subjective, you've done the subjective wrong. And I think it's it's really reassuring to hear that even 10 years qualified working as a consultant physio, you're still applying the same principles of you need just ask the questions like the patient's going to tell you. And it's also really good to see that you've, you've got a standardized assessment. And when you're repeating the same assessment, it's not like you've got a shoulder assessment that you need to go, oh, right, I need to remember that. I need to remember elbow assessment. I need to remember hand. You've got one same assessment. You're just going to get better and better at because you're doing it all the time. And it's just going to improve your skills as a physio. And it's, it's a very clever and good way to um, do it, I think. Okay, so we're going to move on to the three questions just quickly um, that we ask all of our different guests. So first one is, uh, what would you say the three most important behaviours or traits for a physiotherapist are in your experience and why? Um, so if I was to sort of pick three, I guess, three things, I think one of them would be like humility. So I think in terms of, I guess, having the awareness that, um, I guess, an acknowledgement that that you don't know everything uh, and that you'll never know everything as a therapist, I, I certainly don't. Um, and I guess almost pre- be prepared to, drop your ego a little bit sometimes and, and ask others for, for help and support. You know, I, like I men- I've mentioned a couple of times already, I, I get a lot of help, help and support. I don't know everything and, and never will. I think it's a bit dangerous if people that do think they know um, a little bit more. Um, a little bit of knowledge can be, I think, a bit of a dangerous thing, particularly in, in what obviously what, what we do. So I think having that awareness that, you know, that, that you don't know everything and getting help when you, when you don't. Um, I think integrity is a big one for me. And again, there's, there's probably a big sports spin on this. Um, again, if you've not had a lot of experience in sport, this might not make too much sense. But I think you have to stick to, to what you believe in. I think to even now in a, in a world, and people will relate to this, where everyone seems to tell you or seems to give an, you know, an appearance that they know everything or have everything, particularly in relation to social media. Everyone's sort of living their uh, everyone's living their best life out there, also, also we let to sort of believe. But I think in terms of like on a therapy spin, if you have a if you believe in something, if you um, can clinic a reason what you're doing um, and it's working, then keep doing it um, until you find a better way of, of of doing that. And you know, I was chatting with someone earlier on when I was in a sort of meeting talking about that integrity piece, and we were talking about sport, and you know, clearly you have to do it in the right way. Um, but if you do believe in something and it's against someone else's thought process, but I still think you need to sort of say, again, you have to go around things the right way and you don't want to rub people up the wrong way. But again, if you have a question, uh, you have a difference in an opinion, then I think you need to sort of voice that and stick to, I guess, the integrity part is sticking to what you, what you believe in. Um, and the third one really is just like, I think just the passion to learn again, probably fits in a little bit with, not knowing everything and probably never been you know knowing everything I think I think the best thing about being a therapist is is that what we we do in the therapy world is is continually evolving uh, I think learning is a skill and CPD should never be something that you just like you just sort of doing to get a CPD certificate or that you just do 
just in case you might get audited by the, the HCPC um, or something like that. But you, the purpose of you doing it and, you know, even if it's something free, you know, like I put a lot of free content out there because I generally want to help people. But the, the last thing, you know, even if it's free, you still invest in your time. You know, you could be go out for a walk or watch Netflix or something different, you know, with that, that hour or hour and a half. But the purpose of CPD and you investing in your time, your effort, whether it's money or whatever it may be, is, is to get better at what you do. Um, and to provide, a, I guess, a better service to your to the patients and athletes that you work with. Yeah, it's nice to hear some different answers this time. Um, obviously, is what you mentioned there, the humility, the integrity, and that passion, passion and eagerness to, to learn. It, it's nice to hear some some different ones, and that's kind of the purpose of us asking these questions. Every every episode is to try and hear some different answers and see what people have to say from different backgrounds. So thank you for that. Um, and just the second question as part of the, the bank of three was what excites you the most about the future of physiotherapy? I think like just the, probably the, the most exciting thing for me, just as, as, you know, as a therapist is that I just think we're in a, in an awesome position to help people out. And um, whether that's in sport within national health service or private practice, or, you know, I think the better we, um, the better we are, and the, the, you know, the, the more skills we have, the bigger impact we can have in, in all people from from all works of life and um you know obviously my, my background is is heavily heavily sports um but i i generally get you know some weeks the most rewarding like time of my weeks is working with joe blogs who comes in off the street you know and he's been able to get his you know ankle or knee or back fixed up so he can go and do a, a park run on a saturday morning because uh, that's the you know, that's the time they go and meet his mates, do a park run and they go for like a coffee afterwards or or someone who will plays five-a-side football. Clearly at the moment things are a little bit different, but go go play five-a-side and then they'll go for a pint afterwards. And that's like their, their like highlight of their week. And sometimes I think, again, going back to the sports thing, again, getting a player back for a game, a big game at the weekends, probably pales in insignificance to some of those other things. So I think regardless of where you work or want to work, in the future, if you know, you can have such a big impact on on people's lives, and um, I think sometimes we we sort of uh, forget about that. Really, sometimes you just go to work thinking you're doing a doing a job, but it's uh, that's why I think it's just such a great career to have. Yeah, well, yeah. Again, another a different one. Um, nice to hear about the helping people and and how that ties in with job satisfaction and and perhaps maybe some advice to students listening that. Uh, remember that, that that job satisfaction and that happiness and the enjoyment of work that can come from the places that you least ex- uh, least expect it to and, and that to be relaxed and open to the feeling of film fulfillment from the smaller things that you maybe don't expect to and so yeah I just wanted to hand over to Brad for the, the final question. Yeah just before I think uh, it's a really good point that and I think when you're applying for your physio interviews and stuff, the, one of the things you always say is, oh, I want to be able to help people. I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to do that, which is what our profession is based on. And I think it's really nice to hear that that is still the mo- the thing that excites you the most, that you can go to work every day and you can help people. And I think it's really nice that that theme has still stayed through. And it, it will be true for a lot of physios, and I hope it is true for a lot of physios, but it's nice to think that, that is the one thing that you put at the forefront. Okay, so uh, the last question um, is quite simply, uh, are you satisfied? So you can take this any way you want. There isn't a specific way to answer this. So yeah, the floor is yours. Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, 100% I'm, I'm uh, satisfied. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I do really love what I do um, with, you know, I feel very like fortunate of my experience I've had already. And if my physio career end at the end of this podcast which it might do um i'd be pretty happy with what's going on so far but also pretty excited about um what um what the future might hold i don't know what if you'd have told me two years ago i was i was in effect working in my dream job that i'd be working in taekwondo netball with some boxers professional dancers i'd I'd probably would have laughed but um it's been really rewarding and yeah i guess you never know what's gonna what's going to happen in the in the future and um, I guess in terms of being satisfied, I, I do think pretty simply and like in terms of, I, I think it's pretty logical. It's not not for a lot of people, but I do honestly think that you, you sort of make your own opportunities and, and you make your, your your own look, not just necessarily in your in your career, but what goes on outside in your life outside of, of, you, of your job or your studies. And um, there is so much stuff that goes on that we can't control, but there's also a lot of stuff that you can control. And I think if you concentrate on the stuff that you can control and, you know, set some goals, 
Uh, I think I said it earlier on, set some goals, like sort of make a plan and then just sort of go after it. Yeah, I think that's it's really good to hear. It's just it's on the basis of you don't know where your life's going to take you, but it's just about enjoying the journey as well, not um, hinging your, your things on all your goals and I want to get to this place. It's about enjoying the journey and seeing where it goes. Okay, so that rounds up the podcast. Thank you very much, Andy, for coming on. I think you've shared a lot of really insightful things and I've really enjoyed speaking to you. I think I've got a lot out of it as well as all the listeners. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for coming on. And if you want to take uh, an opportunity to uh, plug your own socials and uh, the new grad physio, you can fire away. <laughs> no, if, if anyone does want to uh, reach out to me, I'm, I'm always uh, always open. Um, there is... Um, so the boys mentioned sort of like the podcast and I, I do I do basically a weekly podcast and um, blog. Um, they can both be found at um, newgrowphysio.com. Um, there's also actually a free downloadable shoulder PDF, which again is the same, the same URL. Um, I think you also mentioned that, yeah, I put out some like free webinars and stuff. So I'm, at the moment I'm looking at doing like a, a free webinar at least one, once a month. So the next one's uh, actually just, just sort of being, being launched, but the best place to head to again is, newgrowphysio.com forward slash courses and there's usually a, a sort of link to that to, to sort of sign up um i'm at newgrowphysio on instagram and facebook um andy barker on linkedin um, you can also contact me email me directly if, if you want so andy bark so andy at newgrowphysio.com sorry uh, and like i say any any questions i'm more than happy to to try and help you out Okay, so that is it for episode eight of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the different format. Please send us any feedback to the Instagram page. And as always, don't forget to follow us on Spotify by typing in the Student Physio Podcast Bradford and follow our Instagram and Twitter at UOB Physio Sock. Thank you very much for listening and bye for now.